0: Welcome to The Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. A teacher once told me that there is an irrefutable universal law that governs the universe and its inhabitants, and a violation of that law upsets the delicate balance and leads to disharmony and disease. One of the disharmonies is being overweight, and it is epidemic in our society. In the course of this, there are countless numbers of ideas and suggestions as to what causes it and what to do about it. Dr. Sylvia Carasu is a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at Weill Cornell Medical College in New York City. She has written a marvelous book, actually co-authored a marvelous book called The Gravity of Weight. It is available through the American Psychiatric Society at www.appi.org. Dr. Karasu, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Let's take stock of the challenge. Approximately 67% of the adults and 18% of our children are overweight. Between the years 1980 and 2004, the number of adults who are overweight doubled and the number of our kids who are overweight tripled. Some of the common arguments that have gone back and forth are if it is nature or nurture. Some people put it a lot more simply. They simply say that we have an abundance of energy-dense food and we don't have to work so hard to get it, nor do we burn it off. Many people try to lose weight, but it's hard to do. Why is it so? Why is it so hard to lose weight and then maintain it? Are we missing some truths about exercise and weight loss? Where do we begin?
1: Well, what I would say is We are missing many, many truths Even though there are thousands and thousands Of articles on diet On weight loss, on exercise We still don't have all the answers And there are many, many difficulties In terms of the research Methodologically, etc. But what we can say is you're absolutely correct That we do have energy-dense Foods, which means that these foods Have many calories And there are overwhelmingly Throughout our environment One of the people who's written on this is David Kessler, the former head of the FDA, who wrote a wonderful book called The End of Overeating. And he speaks of how when he goes to a mall, he cannot go by the Cinnabon area because, in fact, it is to the call of the Cinnabon. These delicious pastries have something like 700 calories in them. So you're absolutely correct in terms of there is throughout our environment, there are too many calories and too plentiful calories. And inexpensive food, and that's, of course, another issue. We are eating many more calories today than we did in the 1970s. It was evaluated that We probably had for adults around a little over 2,000, maybe 2,300 calories a day and in the 1970s. And now we're eating something like 2,800, even almost 2,900 calories a day. Well, there are many studies that show that even 100 calories a day will increase weight over time. Now, of course, it doesn't continue. The body does have compensatory mechanisms so that even if you eat a cookie a day, every day and you're getting in 60 extra calories a day at a certain point the body compensates but the other problem is that when you lose weight the body also compensates and we're a very finely tuned mechanism in terms of wanting to maintain homeostasis Essentially, it's calories in and calories expended. That is the simplistic way of looking at it. But in fact, it's much more complicated. Exercise is absolutely crucial, particularly when we're talking about maintaining weight loss. But it is important when we're in the process of maintaining the weight loss. The body is, of course, very efficient at using calories. These compensatory mechanisms we end up tending over time to gain weight. In fact, the recommendations for exercise are very stringent. Minimum exercise of moderate exercise, and of course that's all dependent on the level of fitness of someone, would be about 30 minutes a day, basically at least five days a week. If someone has lost over 30 pounds, that number jumps to over an hour and some would even say almost an hour and a half of moderate exercise. So day. the
0: the more you lose in order to keep it the more exercise that you have to do to keep it off.
1: That is absolutely correct because what happens is our metabolism does slow down and that it takes a as you remember from physics it takes much more energy to move a larger body than a smaller body. So what happens is, all of our when we lose weight, we are more efficient and we don't need as many calories. For when I say move, I'm talking about repair and the whole body functioning of the body. So that everything kind of slows down when we lose weight, and so there's a natural tendency for us to, over time to regain the weight.
0: You made an interesting point in the book, and I think a lot of women will listen very carefully to this. You said the body is extraordinarily able to store energy, and women more so than men.
1: I think probably the reason for that, I, I don't know that anyone really knows the answer, but speculation is that women, because of fertility and the need to maintain a pregnancy, probably evolutionarily were more geared to store fat. Uh, women tend to have a higher level of fat anyway in terms of their body mass index, which is the way we do measure weight these days. And so that it's probably as a result of the needs of the body to be able to maintain a pregnancy and, of course, breastfeeding and, you know, so forth afterwards. And that's probably why there, it is maybe even harder for women to lose weight than it is for men.
0: But we live in, in a society where losing weight is such a powerful motivation that the women who don't successfully lose weight might be exposing themselves to all sorts of anxiety disorders and depressions and poor self-images and the like. It's, it's a nasty circle they face.
1: Yes, it, it definitely is. I would say that there are more apt to be anxiety and depression in people who are overweight or obese and much of this depends on the socio-economic status you're in. If there's a major discrepancy between your socio-economic status, such as a high economic status, and obesity you're more apt to have anxiety and depression because it's discrepant most people in a higher socioeconomic class are less likely to be obese or overweight although I suppose over time that may even be changing as well but even since the 1950s it has been noted that obesity and overweight do tend to be more com- or are more common in the lower socioeconomic classes
0: Interesting. You also made a very what I believe interesting anthropologic connection. You said that the Stone Age people used roughly and I don't know how the people figured out the exact right. calories. <laughs>
1: yes. But
0: they fed that they said that thirteen hundred calories a day were used for physical activity and that modern person is five hundred and fifty calories. And then the extension of that, what really caught me is that what the recommendations you reflect in your book, they're not particularly very difficult in terms of keeping down or losing weight. In particular, the non-exercise physical activity, you called it NEAT. Yes. Why don't you explain what NEAT is a little bit?
1: Well, physical activity is divided into exercise, which is specifically for maintaining fitness, and done purposely and then there's physical activity we do all the time including posture including fidgeting including chewing gum including all the activities of daily life and there are all sorts of charts that indicate how many calories we tend to use if we're engaging in certain activities whether it's gardening whether it's ironing whether it's sleeping and so forth and there is standard that sitting comfortably is considered like a one and then running would be something like a twelve not necessarily in terms of the calories burned but in terms of the extent of how much physical activity that counts for and then you can add up Uh, and it becomes very difficult because as you see no two people really do the same activities the same way as I say in the book do two people really sleep the same way some people may move much more during sleep than others do people two people really vacuum or iron the same way or for that matter be on the telephone or whatever there's so many variables that it makes it very difficult that is one of the hardest things to quantify is how much physical activity someone actually does in a day but you can get a rough estimate of it and so there's exercise that's specifically for fitness and purposeful and then all of this non-exercise activity and that's what is called N-E-A-T, NEAT.
0: And what I think is particularly intriguing about it is if you look at this concept one does not necessarily have to go to the gym to formally exercise to burn up more calories.
1: That's absolutely correct and as I have a line in the book in one of our bullets the best exercise is the exercise you'll do regularly. In fact, there are studies that indicate that if you have equipment in the home, and it doesn't have to be a treadmill, although obviously that would be ideal, but it could be exercise mats, it could be little weights, it could be all sorts of things that would help in terms of exercising more regularly. Things like personal trainers and gyms can help, but in fact, Any exercise is extremely helpful. Exercise, incidentally, is divided into aerobic exercise where the body uses oxygen. Typical would be walking very quickly, running, that sort of thing. And then there's also what we call anaerobic, without oxygen exercise that's either strengthening of muscle or resistance, pulling against cords, running a short distance. These are the sort of sprinting things that you do for usually less than three minutes.
0: I met a guy many months ago who needed to lose some weight and he joked with me and he said that he has an allergy to exercise. (laughs) And then in your book, you actually discuss some of the possible genetic determinants to those who exercise and those who don't. I found that very interesting. Could you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yes. People can get many things out of exercise and it can be. we are speculating that these things may be genetic. It's not that we necessarily have a gene that says you either exercise or don't. But some people get more enjoyment out of exercise. Some people are more persistent. These are sort of personality traits. Some people people are more motivated some people are just better coordinated and they may enjoy exercise because they're better at it so i think all of these things would contribute and our speculation is that many of these personality traits eventually will be found to be genetic there're probably over 250 genes that are involved and probably many many hundreds more that are involved i think in mice they found up to 450 and that was several years ago I think was the last count, all sorts of genes that are related to weight control, whether it's hormonal balances, whether it's exercise, whether it's where your weight is accumulating, whether it's in the abdominal area, which is a particularly more problematic area medically, or whether it's subcutaneous. We're talking about the apple shape versus the pear shape. All these things may be genetically determined, including even how well you respond to medications for weight loss. So all of that, including exercise in terms of what your friend says. So I'm not sure why specifically he was, quote, allergic to it, but it may have something to do with persistence, perseverance, motivation, those sorts of things.
0: He, he said that he didn't like to be forced to do things, and also he never got he, – he asked me, actually, he said, what is this whole thing of the runner's high? Mm. And apparently he has never experienced anything like that. And so what we're trying to do is not force him into any massive exercise protocol, but doing things like walking a little bit further, taking the stairs instead of the elevator, if he can do that, and little lifestyle changes.
1: Yes, there's a whole school of thought that just even being able to use maybe 100 calories more a day or cutting your diet by 100 calories a day. That's Brian Wansink's mindless eating attitude and many other people have that too. James Hill, who was one of the people who started with Rena Wing, the National Weight Control Registry. That's a group of people who've lost weight and kept it off for at least a year. They've lost a major part of weight. The idea is that energy gap, the amount of calories, Calories in versus how much physical activity. So even whatever exercise, everything counts. So walking instead or taking the elevator. There are even some statistics now that are using emails, be contributing to not exercising as much. People from one office to another will tend to send an email, whereas years ago they would go and stop by the person, the other person's office, in the a co-worker's office. So absolutely everything counts. They, I'm sorry.
0: No, no, I'm saying this is lifestyle modification.
1: Lifestyle modifications that all of this, now this is not going to control the obesity epidemic. I think that's what people are saying in terms of we'd have to cut calories many more times or increase exercise many more times. But all of this does contribute because over time people do tend to gain one or two pounds a year as they get older. So everything, whether you park your car a little bit farther away from the store whether you use the elevator or the stairs rather than the elevator. All of those things would count.
0: One of the things that both of us as physicians and any physician listening knows that the rising prevalence of diabetes because of the obesity problem is very significant. But I'm going to ask that we jump away from that for the moment. Sure. You're a psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and I want to pick your brain in that direction. Mm-hmm. What are the psychiatric benefits of exercise? Let's, let's talk about that.
1: One of the things that they have found about exercise is that, or it could be many things, it can be anti-anxiety and an antidepressant. One of the things that people have found is that there is a substance called brain-derived neurotropic factor, that's BDNF. And that is a peptide, a protein, that's really found throughout the brain, but particularly in the hippocampus and the amygdala. And these are areas that are, especially the hippocampus involved in memory consolidation and learning new things. And what they find is that not only antidepressants seem to increase this BDNF, but also exercise seems to increase it. And as a result, exercise can be seen as an antidepressant. Also, uh, it can be used as an anti-anxiety because people tend to get some of the same symptoms in exercise an increased heart rate, increased breathlessness as they do in anxiety and in the context of exercising they can learn to be more kind of able to adapt to that better than they would when they get these kind of panic or anxiety symptoms in other places.
0: So clearly we're learning that there is more than just a mere factor of losing weight. There are even things that fall into the category of a psychiatric area, the, the brain-derived neurotrophic factors, as evidence that this is a multi-level
1: Yes, there are even some studies, although again, these are preliminary studies that exercise increases, of course, blood flow and may increase cognition. On some tests of cognitive functioning, those who have exercised tend to do better. So we can't really say that it's preventive in terms of getting Alzheimer's or some of the dementia diseases of later life, but it does seem that exercise might be part of a healthy lifestyle in terms of helping with cognitive functioning.
0: I remember when I was a resident and doing inpatient work, there was a wonderful nurse and unfortunately I do not remember her name, but she would walk up to some of the more depressed people, grab them by the arm, gently of course, and say, come on. We're going for a walk,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's not done anymore.
1: Mm, well, it should be. <laughs> it should be
0: because now that now that we think about it, that's as much part of the treatment as the medications.
1: That's right. That's right. In fact, exercise, uh, one of the things that I came across in, in my uh, readings, exercise doesn't have the stigma that often antidepressant treatment has. So people may be more apt to want to start exercising than right away go to an antidepressant. Now, of course, an antidepressant may be an absolute necessity in terms of treatment of depression. But for those who are reluctant to begin with that, they may want to try exercise as a kind of boost to their mood and cognition and get them going, also has a sense of self-efficacy, which is extremely important in the whole concept of weight, that idea that you get moving, that you're able to do something, whether it's exercise, whether it's come out of depression, whether it's maintain a diet. So all of that can be contributing factor as well to exor- in exercise.
0: I agree entirely. And all the other spin-offs such as a sleeping better and yes. the breathing good air, if it's if, if there's good air to breathe outside and the like. It's just, this is very interesting. Dr. Sylvia Karasu is a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the Weill Cornell Medical College. She has co-authored a book called The Gravity of Weight as published by the American Psychiatric Society. It is well worth the read. Doctor, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you very much.